Section 18 of Sunbeams by George W. Peck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Surgical Operations in Public A traveling doctor, who makes a specialty of affections of the eye, gave an entertainment to the good people who were invited to his soiree that was an innovation for a certainty. He issued invitations to friends and acquaintances to view an operation which he performed to straighten a pair of cross eyes. There is a technical name for the disease, but it was plain cross eyes. The patient was a young lady, and the place where the operation was performed was the parlor of the hotel, and the audience which attended the entertainment was composed of newspaper reporters and others. The reports give a full description of the operation, describe the girl and how she stood it, the nervousness of the spectators, and the coolness of the doctor, who handled his instruments with delicacy, drew little blood, and in a few minutes the girl got up from the operating table, with her eyes as straight as a gun-barrel, and tickled to death to feel that she could look square at anybody, and not around a corner. This is all right as an advertisement for the eye doctor, and shows that there are new things under the sun. But will it not be apt to stimulate other doctors to want to show off in public, and give exhibitions of their skill? If this thing is going to be catching, we shall find doctors advertising public exhibitions of amputations, and all other operations, the same as a show. People are getting so they like to attend shows that have blood in them. Those who visit theaters that serve up Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or who love the plays where so many actors are killed that the play has to be finished by the stage hands, would hail a surgical operation as a form of amusement that they could hie to. All things are changing, and the time may come when doctors will advertise an operation such as the removal of a tumor at the mark-down price of ten, twenty, and thirty, while an operation for the removal of man's liver would come higher. The amputation of a leg ought to appeal to all who love tragedy, while well, the cutting off of a finger or two, without administering chloroform, would give the audience an exhibition of nerve that they do not often see on the stage. The time may come when the operating room of the hospital will be fitted up with proscenium boxes, and people will dress for an important operation, as they do now for an opera, and after it is over, all go to a late supper at the café, and talk over the interesting points of the entertainment. These performances will be more interesting, and less bloody than prize-fights, and those who watch the knocked-out prize-fighter gradually regain consciousness, or die inside the ropes, will see much to enjoy in the appearance of the patient under the influence of an anaesthetic, as the brave doctors are carving him, from Genesis to Revelation, in search of something they do not know the name of, in places they have never visited before. The time may come, in the advancement of surgical skill, when a person about to be operated on for appendicitis will issue invitations to friends and neighbors to visit the hospital at a certain hour, and witness what, to the patient, is the most interesting period of his life, and the guests may make bets of cigars and gloves, 
whether the doctors will find it or not, or, if they do find it, whether the patient will recover. There is a chance for spectacular effect in these possibilities, and if it becomes fashionable to have audiences to witness the performances of doctors, it will be found that they will pose as actors and watch the audience when not actually engaged in carving the patients. Let the good work go on. Terrible Encounter, Single-Handed, Against a Biscuit There is no man in this country who has done more to help the men who invent new kinds of food than I have. Let a firm advertise a new breakfast food, or a new kind of biscuit, or condensed soup, or tinned beans, or pancake flour, or flaked anything, and I never let the family have any peace until they have got a sample and fed it to me. I anticipate much pleasure when I know the new food is in the house at night and is to be tried on me at breakfast the next morning, and sometimes I wake up in the night and get to thinking about it and am unable to sleep, and then I get up and wake everybody about daylight and get them going on the new dish. After I have eaten it, usually I kick, and send for the can to read the directions, and put the cook on the witness stand under the discovery statute to see if she has carried out the instructions, and then tell how I would cook it. Oh, but my stomach has had a hard time trying to keep up with these inventors of new combinations in food. I got some soup tablets once, at the exposition, from a charming girl, who told me just how to prepare them, and I was going to give everybody a treat, but when I got the tablets, which were made of gutta-percha and printer's roller composition, whittled down so they would dissolve, and seasoned the stuff, nobody would eat it, and I had to. That night my stomach had such a time that I had to get up and take some brandy, and I rolled around all night trying to get my stomach in a place where it would lie quiet. The next morning I gave the balance of the soup tablets to a dog, and to this day the owner of the dog accuses me of trying to poison his pet. I have tried everything advertised, from tinned Mexican tamales to dog biscuit, but the worst time I ever had with a new food was in St. Louis. I arrived one evening at the terminal station, direct from a Chautauqua at Excelsior Springs, Missouri, where the minister in charge of the pious exercises had bilked me out of a hundred dollars, and having half an hour for luncheon, I went into the restaurant to find something under the fifteen-cent list that I could fill up on. The first thing that struck my eye was shredded wheat biscuit with milk, fifteen cents. I bit like a bass. For quite a while I had been reading of shredded wheat biscuit, and had tried to introduce it into the family at home, but had been vetoed after the soup tablet episode. So I decided to revel in shredded biscuit and milk, and have the laugh on the folks at home. I had never seen a shredded wheat biscuit, but when the girl brought it and the bowl of milk, I tried to act as though I had been brought up on that kind of food, but I was glad when the girl laid a check down on the table and went away to wait on somebody else, so I could look over the biscuit alone. It was about as big as a fifty-cent sponge, and looked as though it might be a baked bird's nest, or a handful of Excelsior mattress stuff that a man had used to wipe his hands on and wadded up and thrown in the oven. 
but it was up to me to eat it, and I tried to pull off some of the strands that seemed to have been braided like a whiplash. The strands stretched out, but would not come off, and when I let go they flew back, and the shredded biscuit escaped from my hands and fell on the marble floor, but it bounded up about two feet, and I caught it in both hands. I squeezed it, and it felt like a pincushion made of porcupine quills, and reminded me some of a cud such as cows chew. For some time I studied the shredded biscuit, and finally thought of the milk, and decided to drown it. So I put it in the bowl, and held it down with a spoon, until I was sure life must have been extinct, when I released the biscuit, and it raised up, and filled the bowl, and had soaked up all the milk, and it seemed to look at me like a section of baled hay, as much as to say, you can't lose me. It was apparent that I was short on milk, but long on biscuit. But I took a spoon and a fork and tried to pry off enough of the damp thing to see how it tasted, but it rolled itself up, like one of those round fish you see stuffed in the stores, with spikes on, and I couldn't get any of it off. It began to look like bunches of weeds you see floating in the lakes in the spring, when the ice goes out, and I couldn't help thinking how that biscuit could be used as a duck-blind, if one was short on hay and willows. But my time was limited, and it was necessary to eat before taking my train, so I decided to twist one end of the shredded biscuit, and milk it, and get my milk back anyway, and drink it. But the confounded thing would not give down but held up its milk the worst way. Then I decided to wring it out, and took it in both hands, and wrung it, but I couldn't get any milk. So I rolled it up in a napkin, and put it in my pocket, and ordered coffee, and sinkers, and went to my train. My idea in carrying the shredded biscuit away was that I wanted the girl to think I had eaten it all right, and another idea was to study it at my leisure. I looked it over some during the evening, on the car, and finally, just as I was going to throw the shredded biscuit out the window, a bridal couple got on the car, and were shown the berth opposite mine, and they went right to bed. I do not know what prompted me to do so, no doubt one of those waves of wickedness that comes, at times, over the best of us, but it suddenly occurred to me to wait until all were asleep in the car and then throw that shredded biscuit into the berth with that young couple, and I opened the curtain about four inches, dropped it in, and heard it fall with a dull thud amongst that wedding, and then I went to sleep like a wicked thing. I shall never do such a thing again. No man who commits such a crime should escape just punishment. Along about an hour after daylight the next morning, I heard a squirming in the berth opposite, as of two people trying to dress, who never dressed in each other's presence before. They had their window shade drawn down, so it was quite dark, and I heard the young man whisper to the young woman and say, This must be something of yours, dear. Then there was a moment of silence, as though she had taken it in her hand, and dropped it with a little shudder, and she said, It is nothing of mine, it must belong to you. Then I could hear the first quarrel in that family, he sang, It's yours, and she sang, It ain't, etc., until finally I heard a satchel snap, and then his stocking feet protruded from the berth, followed later by himself, 
half-dressed, and he went to the washroom, and by and by she came out with a handkerchief over her head and a wrapper on and a bundle of clothes, and she went to the ladies' toilet room. The porter made up the berth, and when they both came back to the seat they looked mad. Soon we came to a junction where we all got off to wait a couple of hours for the Louisville train and get breakfast. The porter picked up the shredded biscuit in the seat, which was dry now, and flattened out some, and asked the man if it was his, and he said it was not, and she said it was not hers. They went out first, and I took the shredded biscuit from the porter and put it in my pocket. At breakfast in the Junction Hotel the young couple did not talk to each other much, and in the parlor car, all the way to Louisville, they did not act like lovers, and when they went to their room in the gatehouse in the evening, they acted like old married people, cross and disagreeable. When a man begins a life of crime, he seldom reforms. When I found that their room was in the same hall with mine, and I knew they were down to supper, the devil took possession of me, and I walked by their room, and threw the shredded biscuit over the transom, and heard it drop on the bed, and when they returned to their room I made it a point to pass their room. They went in, and in about two minutes I heard a scream, heard a woman in a falsetto voice say, Look, look, there it is again! Oh, it is a hoodoo! Then I went down to the office of the hotel, like a wicked thing, and talked with the clerk. Pretty soon he went to the telephone that connects with the rooms, and I heard him say, Yes, yes, certainly, right away. And then he yelled, Front! And when a bellboy came, he handed him a card and said, Go to the bar and get a bottle of bromo seltzer and take it to room 201. In the morning I took breakfast at the same table with a young married couple, and when I looked over the bill of fare and ordered shredded wheat biscuit with cream, she blushed. He began to perspire around the neck, and I thought they would sink through the floor as they looked at each other in painful silence. But I never turned a hair and looked as innocent as possible. Over a year has passed, and I presume they have learned to tell a shredded biscuit now when they see one. End of section 18 Recording by Melora